You are listening to a sermon podcast from Kingdom City. We pray that over the next few moments, you will be blessed, equipped, and empowered to bring the reality of God to your world. Welcome to our Kingdom City family from right around the world. Whether you're joining us in front of your device with people in homes or gathered in one of our hubs globally, we are glad that you're here. And if we haven't met before, my name is Julian and I'm part of the team here at Kingdom City. Now, we would love to invite you to stand wherever you are as we position ourselves to receive the Word of God. Would you go ahead and lift your hands high to heaven? Father, we thank you for your Word that is alive and powerful, sharper than the sharpest double-edged sword. Father, we pray that today Your Word would come alive, that it would jump off the pages of the text. And Lord, that You would take this message and make it specific to every person and every situation represented here today, right around the world. Have Your way and do what only You can do. In Jesus' Name we pray. And if you believe it, can you go ahead and shout, Amen. Go ahead and write it in the chat. Amen. Today we're going to read from the book of 2 Kings, reading from chapter 8 and verses 1 through 6. And today I am reading from the New Living Translation. It says this, Elisha had told the woman whose son had been brought back to life, take your family and move to some other place. For the Lord has called for a famine on Israel that will last for seven years. So the woman did as the man of God instructed. She took her family and settled in the land of the Philistines for seven years. After the famine ended, she returned from the land of the Philistines and went to see the king about getting back her house and land. As she came in, the king was talking with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God. The king had just said, tell me some stories about the great things Elisha has done. And Gehazi was telling the king about the time Elisha had brought a boy back to life. At that very moment, the mother of the boy walked in to make her appeal to the king about her house and land. Look, my lord, the king, Gehazi exclaimed. Here is the woman now, and this is her son, the very one Elisha brought back to life. Is this true? The king asked her, and she told him the story. So he directed one of his officials to see that everything she had lost was restored to her, including the value of any crops that had been harvested during her absence. So the title of our message today is this, The Tension of My Testimony. The Tension of My Testimony. If you're with people, would you turn to the person next to you, touch them appropriately and just tell them it's a test. If you're on your device, go ahead and write it in the chat. Just write it down. It's a test. Now turn to the person on the other side of you and assure them, but God is turning your test into a testimony. Now turn to the person on the other side again and just touch them appropriately and tell them, you're a mess. Go ahead and write it in the chat. You're a mess. But reassure them right now by telling them, but God is turning your mess into a message. Kingdom City family right around the world, I believe that today is a day of victory. Today is a day of faith. Today is a day of power. And if you believe it, can you go ahead and shout, Amen. Amen. Can you go ahead and give Jesus a shout of praise wherever you are right now? Hallelujah. Amen. There is victory in the atmosphere today. So on the 22nd of September at 12.52 a.m., after just nine minutes of pushing, Our second daughter, Chloe J.L. Curtisingham, was born. 
3.76 kilograms and 55 centimeters. And the name Chloe means blooming or fertility. And the name JL means ascension or rising. And we're tired, but we're fulfilled. The nights aren't sleepless, but there's certainly less sleep than there was before. And we want to thank everyone for your kind words, your wishes, your prayers, and your support. Because for us, the birth of Chloe has been a miracle. It's our testimony. As many of you know, it's been a hard road for us to get here. An ectopic pregnancy in April 2020, which resulted in tubal removal surgery, a second spontaneous miscarriage in September of last year, complications with this pregnancy, three sizable hematomas capable of taking out Chloe, big bleeds for the first 15 weeks and more trips to the emergency department than we can count, but here we are. She's here and she's perfect. We stand on the other side of a journey that has lasted almost 18 months victorious. But the tension of our testimony is that we had to go through a test to get it. And isn't that the tension of every testimony? That you need to go through a test to get it. And Kingdom City, I believe that as the people of God, we need to start seeing our challenges differently. Each time we face a challenge is an opportunity for God to be glorified. And perhaps a great problem with the world today is that everyone wants to be an overcomer, but nobody wants anything to overcome. Everybody wants to be a conqueror, but nobody wants anything to conquer. Everybody wants a great testimony, but nobody wants the test. Everybody wants to be a giant slayer, but nobody wants to slay the giant. But it's the overcoming that makes the overcomer. It's the testing that makes the testimony. And that is attention. Because when I'm in the middle of the storm, it can seem like there's no end in sight. And to appreciate our text in 2 Kings chapter 8, we need to understand what took place in 2 Kings chapter 4. In chapter 4, we are introduced to the same woman that we read about in chapter 8. In chapter 4, Elisha is passing through Shunem, where this wealthy Shunammite woman invites him to her place to eat. And the Bible says that each time Elisha would pass through Shunem, he would stop there for a meal. So the Shunammite woman says to her husband, I'm sure that the, this man who stops by is a holy man of God. Let's set him up with a place to stay here whenever he passes through. We can make a room for him on the roof of our house. And so this woman sets up a room for the prophet Elisha on the roof of her home. She builds him a bed, a table, a chair, and she furnishes the room with a lamp. And this is before Ikea and before flat packs were a thing. So this bed is probably bespoke. It's custom built. And Elisha is grateful for her hospitality. So he says to the woman, what can I do for you? And the woman replies saying, I'm good actually. I don't need anything. My family takes good care of me. But Elisha learns through his servant Gehazi that this couple can't have children or at least they don't have a son and her husband is old. And so Elisha declares to the woman, this time next year, you will be holding a son in your arms. And her response, church is curious. She says, man of God, don't deceive me. Don't get my hopes up like that. See, she was trying to avoid what God wanted to use to grow her. And we try so hard to do that. 
we try and push away the test and we try and circumvent the journey. We say, God, give me the finished product. We say, God, give me the finished story. But it happened. She fell pregnant. And fast forward a year, she was holding her son just as Elisha said. But one day when her son was older, helping his father in the fields, he complains of his head hurting. He says, my head hurts, my head hurts. And he collapses and they rush him to his mother and on her lap, he dies. And here's the tension of her testimony. A test, possibly the worst thing that can happen to anyone happens to her. And here is a woman who didn't need anything, but now she needs a miracle. And for all of us, our challenge is found in trusting God to obey Him before He does the miracle. So when Elisha hears about this, he makes his way to the woman's house in Shunem and there he sees the body of the boy that he prophesied into existence years ago, laying lifeless on the same bed that he used to sleep on each time he passed through Shunem. So he gets on top of the boy and this is where things get crazy. Elisha puts his mouth to his mouth, his eyes to his eyes, his hands to his hands and he stretches himself out over the boy and the boy's body gets warm and he sneezes seven times and he comes back to life. Come on, can you go ahead and praise God? And somebody around the world needs to hear this today. Just because something in your life looks dead or feels dead or seems dead does not mean this is how your story ends. God is in the business of redemption and now her test has become a testimony. And now you have the context that you need for 2 Kings chapter 8 because the same woman reappears in the Bible and this time she doesn't need a miracle for her son. She needs a miracle for her house and land to be restored. And here's the tensions that I learned through this woman's story. Jumping in from verse 1. Elisha had told the woman whose son had been brought back to life, take your family and move to some other place for the Lord has called for a famine on Israel that will last for seven years. So the woman did as the man of God instructed. So our first tension is this, obedience that still leads to loss. I don't know why Elisha warned this woman about the famine. Maybe he felt like he owed her something. Maybe he felt compassion for her because of what she had gone through. But we read that Elisha warns her about a famine that he doesn't seem to warn anyone else about. Take your family, move to some other place. And so this woman listens to the prophet and she leaves. But because she leaves for seven years to survive the famine, she loses her house and land. She listens to Elisha and because she listens to him, she loses something of significant value. So how do I reconcile this tension? Obedience that still leads to loss. Now I can understand disobedience that leads to loss. I can understand disobedience that leads to consequence like Lot's wife. They said, don't turn back, but she turned back. And because of that, she turned into a pillar of salt. Or Jonah, he didn't listen to God and go to Nineveh like God said. He jumped on a ship that was headed for Tarshish in the opposite direction. So because of that, he was thrown overboard and eaten by a whale. But this woman, Listen to Elisha to a T and she still lost something. So is our theology wrong? The disciples were only in the iconic storm because Jesus asked them to get into the boat. They were only in the scariest moment of their life because they obeyed God. 
So often we see people in hard moments and think, well, they must have missed something. They must have done something. They must have dropped something. But the disciples listened to Jesus and still they were in a storm. This woman listened to Elisha and still she lost her house and land. And this serves as a reminder to us all. Just because we are believers who love God and serve God and follow God does not make us immune to life's challenges. Just because we are believers does not make us immune to life's storms, but it causes us to see our challenges differently. C.S. Lewis is quoted as saying, life with God is not immunity from difficulties, but peace within difficulties. Without the hope that we have, a test is just a test, a mess is just a mess, a valley is just a valley, but because I believe that God is working all things together for good and for His glory, I know that the mess I'm in right now is not how my story ends. Romans 8.28 says, and we know that God causes everything to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. So if things aren't good right now, it must mean that God is still working it together. And that is how I reconciled our 18-month journey of pregnancy challenges. Because when we were going through the test, I was having some very frank conversations with God. Can I say that right now? God, how can I love you and serve you with everything and lay down my legal career to give you everything? We're tithing. We're stewarding. We're obeying you completely and wholeheartedly. But still, a challenge came knocking down my door. So here's the key. To keep trusting that He's still working. To believe in advance what will only make sense in reverse, as Philip Yancey said. Because now our test has become a testimony. And my friend, if you're in the valley right now and it's frustrating because you know you didn't cause it, you know you followed the Word of God to a T, you know you haven't stepped outside of His will for your life, my friend, your valley is not how your story ends. God is still working your story together for good. He's turning your test into a testimony. He's turning your mess into a message. He's still working it together. He's still piecing it together. And if you believe it, can you give God a shout of praise wherever you are right now? Hallelujah. So let's keep moving. Jumping in from verse 2. It says, So she took her family and settled in the land of the Philistines for seven years. So here's another tension we read in this story. Surviving in the land of the enemy. So to survive the famine in Israel, this woman settles in the land of the Philistines. You don't need to be a Bible scholar to know that the land of the Philistines is enemy-occupied land. But the Shunammite woman survived in the land of the enemy. She survived in a place that should have destroyed her. And this is a word for somebody today. Maybe you're here and you have journeyed through bankruptcy, failure, separation, divorce, isolation, fear, sickness, depression, or loss, but you're still here, you're still breathing, you're still standing. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians, we're hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We're perplexed, but not in despair. We're persecuted, but not abandoned. We're struck down, but not destroyed. The opposition, the diagnosis, the betrayal should have taken you out, but greater is He who is in you than he who is in the world. You survived 
in the land of the enemy. So I'm about to bear my soul to the globe, but in 2017, I had a personal battle with insomnia. And so I can understand that sometimes the worst storms are not the ones that are out there, but the ones that are in here. And yes, pastors go through storms too. Insomnia. I couldn't sleep. I was sleeping for maybe one or two hours a night for weeks. I was hard pressed on every side. So I reluctantly tried some over-the-counter sleeping pills, but the -the over-the-counter sleeping pills weren't working. And so I went to see a doctor and the doctor prescribed me with some prescription sleeping pills and they would work maybe every two or three days. And it got so bad. My sleep was so bad that the doctor wanted to put me on antidepressants. Now, I didn't want to go on antidepressants, but I did. And it helped. And I slept. And here's the tension of my testimony to the glory of God. I survived in the land of the enemy. I survived in a place that should have crushed me. But we're going to keep going. Jumping into verse 3. It says, After the famine ended, she returned from the land of the Philistines and she went to see the king about getting back her house and land. So here's the key, Kingdom City. Be grateful for where God fed you during the famine. But when the famine is over, you need to leave the land of the Philistines and go back home. I was grateful for modern medicine. But when I started sleeping properly again, I put those pills aside. And by the way, Pills weren't the only thing that helped. Prayer helped. Community helped. The application of the Word of God helped. But I took those pills only as long as I needed to. But when sleep returned, I had to go back to where I really belonged. And this is the tension in some testimonies. You needed to do it to survive. But I believe that this is the Word of the Lord for you. It's time to leave the land of the Philistines and go back home and I believe this is a promise for you whom the Son sets free is free indeed. Let's keep moving, jumping back in from verse 4. It says, as she came in, the king was talking with Gehazi, the servant of the man of God. The king had just said, tell me some stories about the great things Elisha has done. And Gehazi was telling the king about the time Elisha had brought a boy back to life. So here's another tension that we read in this story. Disappointment that writes a story. In chapter 8, it's a story. In chapter 8, it's a testimony. But in chapter 4, it wasn't a story of triumph. It was a story of devastation. It was a story of deep heartache and disappointment. Her son died. Listen to her in chapter 4, and I might just ad-lib this verse a little bit. Did I ask you for this? Did I ask you for this? Didn't I tell you, don't get my hopes up. Don't deceive me. You gave me a son I didn't ask for just to take him away. I told you that this would happen. You can hear the pain, the regret, the anger, the frustration. This is very different to how she tells the story in chapter 8. In chapter 8, it's a testimony. And this is a promise to you, Kingdom City. Your disappointment will write a story. And the question for all of us is, can I continue to trust God through the valley in chapter 4 before I get to the victory in chapter 8? The king says, tell me, Gehazi, of all of the great things Elisha has done. And I love the prophet Elisha. He's like, 
the wild prophet. He's the crazy prophet. He's the one who grew up thinking calling down fire from heaven was normal. And this is why I love how much energy and resource Pastor Mark and Jemima pour into our next generation, our children and our youth. They're growing up thinking that miracles are normal. King says, tell me Gehazi of all of the great things Elisha has done. And so Gehazi starts rattling off all of Elisha's miracles. He says, well, this one time, the leaders of the town of Jericho came to Elisha and said, our water is toxic. And so Elisha took some salt and threw it into the water and said, the water will not cause death or infertility anymore. And the water remained pure ever since, just as Elisha said. And this one time there was this woman in debt and the the tax office was threatening to take her sons. And so Elisha asked him, well, what do you have in the house? And she said, all I have is a jar of oil. And he says, keep bringing jars of oil. And the jars kept filling up with oil and she was able to clear all of her debts. And this one time, one of the sons of the prophets was trying to chop down a tree and his ax head flew off and it fell into the river. And so Elisha threw a piece of wood into the river and the iron axe head rose again. And this one time, the commander of the king of Aram's armies, Naaman, had leprosy. So the king sent him to Elisha and Elisha said, Naaman, go and dip seven times in the Jordan River. And so he dipped seven times and his leprosy was healed. And this one time, there were 42 guys making fun of Elisha saying, hey, baldy, hey, baldy. And so Elisha called out bears from the woods and two bears came and mauled them all. There's a lesson in that. Don't mess with the bald guy. Don't mess with Pastor Matt or Pastor Mervin. And this one time there was this couple who let Elisha stay at their place and they couldn't conceive. So he prophesied that they would have a son and they had a son, but then the boy died. So Elisha jumped on top of the boy and the boy sneezed seven times and came back to life. And the Bible says in verse five, at that very moment, Can you say at that very moment, write it in the chat, at that very moment, the mother of the boy walked in to make her appeal to the king about her house and land. Look, my Lord, the king, Gehazi exclaimed, here is the woman now, and this is her son, the very one Elisha brought back to life. At that very moment, you couldn't have timed it better. At the very moment, Gehazi is telling the king, about the time Elisha brought a boy back to life, the boy walks into the king's palace and the mother stands before the king and tells him of the day of when her son was dead, was brought back to life. And her testimony before the king meant that she would get her house and land back. Could it be, Kingdom City, that God is timing your story so that when you tell your testimony, it does the maximum good and gives Him the maximum glory? Could it be, Kingdom City, that God is timing your story so that one day you'll stand before kings to testify of what the Lord has done? And you may feel like the sun has set on your hopes, your dreams, your future, your destiny, but something is happening in the background. Ecclesiastes 1.5 says that the sun rises and the sun sets, and then it hurries around to rise again. So when the night is the darkest, the master storyteller is piecing together your story in the background. The sun is hurrying around to rise again. Our God is the master storyteller and He never gets writer's block. Your disappointment will write a story. As I hold Chloe, I know that God has done a miracle in my family because this is now 
our story. We're going to keep moving, jumping in from verse 6. Is this true? The king asked her. And she told him the story. So he directed one of his officials to see that everything she had lost was restored to her, including the value of any crops that had been harvested during her absence. And so here's the last tension we read about in this story. A miracle that creates another miracle. She had received a miracle in her family. And when she testified of what happened, she receives a miracle in property. Now, those two miracles don't seem to relate to each other on the surface. But Kingdom City, I've come to realize something. Miracles create more miracles. Testimonies create more testimonies. And that is why in all of our services around the world, one of our pastors shares a testimony of what the Lord has done because we believe that if He could do it before, He can do it again. If He could do it for them, He can do it for you. It's a reminder that the same God who delivered me then will deliver me now. When David was going into the valley of Elah to take on the giant Goliath, he takes a moment to look back and he says, the same God who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the claw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistines kingdom city. A key to facing your giants of today is remembering how you slayed your giants of yesterday. And this same God who looked after you then will look after you now. God goes before us in our battles. He's with us in our struggles. He's with us in our trials. Heaven is His throne and the earth is His footstool. We serve a God with power and authority in His hands. David says, I beat the lion and the bear so it only stands to reason that the God who looked after me then will look after me now because miracles create more miracles and testimonies create more testimonies. So as we share these testimonies, receive them as your own. I receive that healing. I receive that breakthrough. I receive that miracle in my life. He's the God of limitless supply. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, not just one hill. There is enough of God to go around. And so she told him the story. So he directed one of his officials to see that everything she lost was restored to her. So the Shunammite woman only got back when what she needed when she testified of what the Lord has done. So why have you stopped telling your story? Here's the tension of her testimony. Her miracle created another miracle. Can we join in prayer right around the world? If you're here today viewing this service and you know that you've obeyed God, but it's still led to loss, we're going to pray over you right now. So would you lift your hands where you are? Father, we declare that you would restore what the enemy has stolen. We declare that you would restore the years that the locust has eaten. Father, we declare that you would cause the dead things in our life to rise again. We declare an injection of faith, hope, life, liberty. Even for those that feel like they're just surviving in enemy-occupied land. Father, we pray that you would touch them right now. Father, we specifically pray for those struggling with anxiety, with, with depression, with insomnia. Father, we declare over them right now, even if that's you, just touch your head right now. You have not given them a spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. Your Word says, when anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. Father, we declare whom the sun sets free is free indeed. We declare fear would leave right now in Jesus' name. Father, for those in the valley right now, we declare that their disappointment will write a story and you're still working it. You're still piecing it together. You're causing all things to work together for good and for glory. And Father, I pray and we thank you for all of our testimonies, Father. Just like David, we reflect and we remember that the same God who looked after me then 
will look after me now. And Father, we pray that you would open up our mouths again to testify of what you have done in our lives. And we pray that our miracles would trigger more miracles in Jesus' name. And everyone around the world said, Amen, Amen, Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If you have never entered into a relationship with Jesus, we want you to know that He loves you very much. So much that He died on the cross for all of your sins that stood between you and God. If you would like to make a decision to follow Jesus today, all you need to do is to repeat this prayer. Dear God, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I admit that I'm not right with you and I want to be right with you. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. I believe with my heart and confess with my mouth that Jesus is the Lord and Savior of my life. Thank you for saving me and making me your child. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, or if God has done anything in your life because of this podcast, we would love to know. Email us at testimony at kingdomcity.com.